So Money episode 887, Ask Farnoosh with special co-host Kim Atori. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. You're listening to So Money, everybody. Welcome to the show. It's Friday, May 17th. Um, I'm actually heading to Los Angeles tomorrow again. This is probably a record for me. Three West Coast trips in the, like five weeks. Um, although I think back in 2009 or eight, I had that, I don't know, I'm really dating myself here, but some of you might recall, I was on a TV show on TLC called Real Simple Real Life. (laughs) And I was working full-time in New York and weekly going and filming this show uh, for TLC that was in in Los Angeles. So literally leaving work at 5 p.m. on on like a Monday from New York, going to the airport, taking some sort of evening flight to LA, and then the next day filming, taking the red eye back to New York, going from the airport back to work. Crazy. That was not something that I would like to relive as far as the commute went. Um, But it was, of course, a really fantastic experience to experience like reality TV and TLC. And that was my first TV gig. All this, of course, for Stack's house. We're going back and forth to make sure that the LA activation is going well and it is going well. And part of also why I'm going back to LA this weekend is to be a part of the Steve Harvey Vault Conference. Um, so Steve Harvey, as you know, talk show host, philanthropist, entrepreneur, radio host, all the titles. He is also now launching a conference and he's invited me, his team has invited me to go to do a keynote. I'm going to be talking about how to sort of have the right healthy mindset to manage your money, you know, some of the belief systems that I have embraced over the years that have worked for me and that have worked for others as far as like how to think about money, how to relate to money. I'm back on Monday and uh, hopefully that's it for a while until we figure out the next Stacks House location, which by the way is TBD, but hopefully we'll be making an announcement soon. I can say this, that we will be moving eastward because uh, we're in LA right now, so there's really no more west to go. So it will be eastward, and we're debating on whether it's going to be like the south or the Midwest. People are saying, come to Atlanta, Miami, Chicago, Austin, all of these cities I'd love to hit at some point. So we'll, we'll know directionally our plans very soon, and we'll keep you posted. This was a really amazing week for So Money, although we didn't start off so great. Can we talk about something for a second? iTunes took down my podcast on Mother's Day. Yeah, I'm not going to take it personally. I'm not going to think that it was some human at the uh, podcast bureau in uh, at iTunes who was trying to, you know, serve me up. I think it was just some sort of bot that periodically scans the uh, the data behind podcasts and apps and et cetera. And, you know, iTunes is constantly changing its guidelines for how you load things into their platform. And apparently my, uh, I learned this the hard way. They didn't even tell me why. It's like the IRS. Like it's worse than the IRS. You just get this cryptic email that's like your podcast is no longer in the iTunes library. Please follow this link to learn more. And uh, at least the IRS gives you like, 
a phone number. I didn't have that. And so I'm going down this rabbit hole on Sunday to try to figure out what's going on. I contact some of my friends and um, partners who work in the podcast space and we narrowed it down to maybe the fact that my title, the show title is a little too descriptive in the uh, back end. This is getting a little too technical, but to load your podcast, you have to use a server. I use Megaphone. And within Megaphone, um, you have a, an input area where you can put in the title of your show. And the title of the show in that input was So Money with Farnoosh Tarabi, comma, interviews with entrepreneurs, experts, authors, blah, 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 blah. That's a little too much for Apple and iTunes. They don't want so much of a description. This is obviously a new thing because it hasn't really changed in four and a half years for me. So I went in and I kind of took off that extra stuff and refed them the feed. And then, uh, you know, 36 hours later, I got an email saying, Hey, thanks for following our guidelines. Your podcast is live now. But talk about a heart stopping moment, right? This, this show that you have poured all your heart and soul into, you think you're following the rules and then all of a sudden abruptly, the biggest platform from where people access your podcast decides to just take it out of the library. Of course, it happened the day before I'm about to launch a new episode. So I went on Twitter and Instagram and all the places to tell people like, don't worry, you haven't gone crazy. Your phone's not broken. Your app's not broken iTunes just decided to give me a heart attack. Um, but we're back live now. Um, tr- you know, breathing in a bag helped and uh, sharing it with, uh, with my audience helped. They gave me a lot of encouragement and support, moral support. So appreciate you guys for, for hanging in there with me. But um, it was a little bit of a bummer because Monday was a really great episode and we didn't really get to hear it until Tuesday. But Ramin Setude was on the podcast and he is the author of Ladies Who Punch which is a book about the behind the scenes of The View, one of my favorite talk shows, which I've stopped watching over the past few years, let's be honest. Uh, has, I've, watched, I've stopped watching a lot of television, but The View, I kind of grew up with that. And I always wanted to be on The View. I did make it on The View once as a guest for the Real Simple Real Life show, as it turns out. That was a long time ago. Uh, our guest today is a listener of the show, and as we were chatting before we were recording, I learned that we have a lot in common. We are both from Pennsylvania. In fact, we both went to um, a program during high school that um, often is called Nerd Camp, but it's uh, lovingly referred to as Nerd Camp, but it's actually the Pennsylvania Governor's School. And um, for those of you who are from Pennsylvania, grew up in Pennsylvania, may be familiar with it. It's a program you have to apply for. It's considered very prestigious. They they brainwash us all summer telling us we're the best of the best of the best students in the world, in the country, in all the world. There's different disciplines. So I did the one for international studies. There's one for medicine. There's one for the arts. There's one for science. And um, our guest today, Kim Atori, uh, had had, a, had an experience with that. And I don't know, there's there's something about meeting someone who went through that through, through that same experience that you're instantly connected um, because of that. But and let's talk about that. Kim, welcome to the show. Parnoosh, hi. Thank you so much for bringing me on to co-host. I'm so honored to be here. And um, you're so right. You have an instant connection with people and you find out they went to governor's school. It's like this little, like in this experience, because nobody else understands being in class for 12 hours a day in the summer and like loving it, but also being brainwashed that this is the best thing for you. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, I cried every day the first week. I was not happy being there. I think it's kind of also like it hits you at a time in your life where 
you know, you go away for five weeks, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mm-hmm. all day. Yeah. All it's, it's, and I didn't go to sleepaway camp. So this was like a whole oh, kind of awakening for me away from home. You had to study so much. It was literally like class 12 hours a day, like you said, but then also homework until midnight. And I remember For kids- sure. Yeah. And then we would fall asleep during lectures and we'd get yelled at. Yes. We it would get- It was really a, tense. An earth called an incident report form. It was very intense and very, yes. Um, I was not the most favorite governor school student to say the least, because I was like, what are these chains on me? I can't even cross the street because I wouldn't- Yeah. The program I went to was in the middle of a city- university campus. So the boundaries were drawn. They were very strict. You could get like thrown out for missing, missing a class or whatever it is, breaking a major rule. But regardless, it was such a phenomenal experience. And a lot of the people I attended with, I'm still friends with today. And that was in, that was 13 years ago. Wow. As a high wow. school so student. That, they haven't changed some things. I guess the threat yeah. <laughs> of punishing you is still alive there. I did break the rules <laughs> once and I, it was parents weekend and then my parents didn't come because it was literally like a six hour drive. And I was like, don't even bother. A couple girlfriends and I decided to sneak away and go to Squirrel Hill and go shopping. Yeah. Because we were in yeah. Pittsburgh and we were we were so scared the whole time because we thought we saw our teacher at one point crossing the street. <laughs> oh, yeah. We were bad. But it was also like towards the end of the program. So we were like, whatever. They, you know, whatever. <laughs> they're not yeah. You out. had to like loosen up a little bit. Yes, yeah, certainly. I um, learned to love coffee that summer though. I can't recall if I had coffee then, but um, it was definitely necessary. And it really it exposed me to so much. And um, I was in the healthcare program. So they basically just rotated in um, one professional after another, telling us about their experience in healthcare and uh, what they what they contributed and how they fit into the healthcare system. And my passion was always nutrition. And I was kind of sitting there like, why am I talked about nutrition? We have all these doctors and surgeons and, and no one chatted about nutrition, but I, I still went on to become a, a registered dietitian regardless. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about so. today and um, where you are in your professional life, in your, in your financial life. I know that when we were talking earlier offline that, you know, uh, you said you admitted you didn't really grow up with a lot of, of a big financial foundation, really like not really start growing up talking about money. And so naturally you maybe gravitated towards it when you were an adult because it was lacking in your childhood. Right. Exactly. Um, I was that kid. Uh, I was always very curious about money as a kid. I remember asking my grandfather, like he was, he was someone I spent a lot of time with. I only had one grandparent growing up and he was such a huge influence on my outlook on money and opportunity and really what I could go after. And, and he was such a hero to me. And I remember asking him how much money he made one time when I was a kid, I didn't know that you're not supposed to ask people that. And, um, and he told me how much social security he brought in every month. And it was not a lot. And I was starting to wonder like, well, that doesn't make sense. I was starting to add up like where he spends money and just from me watching him. And I'm like, how does grandpa afford to live? Like what's going on? And, um, I think there was a little bit of a missed teaching opportunity for me as a kid. I was a little underestimated. Nobody wanted to explain to me all these different streams of income that my grandpa also had. I mean, I would drive around with him to all of his rental properties, but I didn't know what he was doing when he was going there. I didn't realize that he was basically collecting a paycheck when we went to go visit, visit his tenants. Um, so that's kind of where things started. I was that kid playing Monopoly who <laughs> would always win and counted my money in the middle of the game. 
And so it's just something I wanted to understand from a young age. And basically starting out in high school, like I was always hustling. Um, I would work for my grandpa uh, before I was able to work because I wanted to earn money to buy things, you know, like a hair straightener (laughs) as a high school student. And I got my first job. Uh, 14 or 15 years old. And ever since then, I've always had one, two, or even three jobs at a time trying to bring things in. Um, I went through school. I finished undergraduate and graduate school. I was always working, at least had some type of part-time job in addition to leadership positions on campus. And I graduated um, with a master's degree in nutrition in 2013. Um, I'm a registered dietitian by trade, but honestly, I had to wear so many hats to bring home the bacon, so to speak. And um, yeah, when I finished school, um, I what had were really, some of those hats. Yeah, um, let's see. Um, well, through my first job, I worked at the gift shop at the local zoo at the Pittsburgh Zoo. I worked in the gift shop. It was so cool. <laughs> um, all through school, I worked um, in science labs. I was a science. I was a, a laboratory assistant. I waitressed. I hostessed. Um, I worked at Jimmy John's for a summer. Nice. Um, yeah, and even when I finished school with my master's degree, I wasn't. I wasn't earning um, very much to support just a basic lifestyle. So I still had to work on the weekends as a waitress for, for a few months after graduation. Well, good on you. Good on Mm -hmm. you for like, you know, even with a master's, um, not letting your pride get in the way, right. And doing all these jobs. I think that I, I, I was in a similar situation graduating with a master's in journalism. And I know that's not a you know, a big paying industry, relatively speaking. But, you know, you think like, I just invested all this money in getting a master's degree. What's the ROI here, you know, Mm -hmm. for for getting this Mm -hmm. education? But, you know, I bird sat, I babysat. (laughs) No, you know, I would have cleaned toilets. Like I just needed to get rid of that debt and I didn't care. And it was um, the sooner the better. I'm glad to have you on the show today because we have, uh, I think, a lot of questions that you will enjoy tackling. The first one is about money and relationships. So this is from an anonymous person who wrote in on Instagram and everybody, you can direct message me on Instagram with your questions. I love collecting them there. It's easy. It's fun. So she wants to know from a financial advice standpoint, how would we recommend talking to her boyfriend about his finances. The couple is in their late 20s, not married. They have separate accounts, but knowing marriage could be on the horizon, we are complete opposites in the way that we save and spend our money. I'm a saver, he's a spender, and I'm not at all comfortable with it. We both grew up comfortably, but his family will still help him out. Mine does not. And I don't think he understands how much money it takes to grow up with the lifestyle we're both used to. How can I help him understand the big financial picture? This is tricky, right? Because the parents seem to be playing a bit of a a role here that's not super healthy. Mm -hmm. And I don't think she's alone in this situation. I think there's still a lot of people in their 20s and even in their 30s um, whose parents are helping to support them. And, you know, nothing necessarily wrong with that. But I think that to her point, yes, it can sometimes skew your perspective on life and like what it actually costs to have the lifestyle that you're comfortable with, that you've been used to. Um, Right. So she's good on her for asking this question before marriage, first of all. So Absolutely. kudos to you. Um, are you in a relationship, Kim? Um, so my husband and I actually just celebrated our first year anniversary, oh, our first wedding anniversary. Thank you. And I'm actually really thrilled 
to be assisting and answering this question because I was in this exact position um, not that long ago, to be honest. Um, we, I was in my late 20s. I was 27. My husband was 31 at the time. Um, we lived in the home that I bought two years prior. It was really inexpensive. I paid all of the bills. And I, I didn't need a lot from him. I had my own income. Um, I was making a comfortable living. And I, I didn't need a lot from him when it came to extra support, like around the house. And we definitely split some things uh, here and there. But to be honest, I was the person sitting at my Excel spreadsheet, diligently tracking all of my spending. And my then boyfriend didn't even know the balance on his checking account. Um, so good for her for bringing this up. And I... I could definitely have more to offer, but if you want to take away first, or would you like me to? Well, keep going. I like where you're going with this. Yeah. So I want to. My follow up question to you was like, how did you actually, you know, address all of this eventually? Sure. Um, so we were about two years into our relationship. Um, we were living together, and we were talking seriously about marriage. Um, like I said, I owned the house, made the comfortable living, and I was fine taking care of what was going on. Uh, but I knew in order for us to plan to have the type of wedding that we envision and to set us up for the future that we envision, we were going to have to align when it came to our money habits. Um, and I understand, uh, and I want the listener to keep in mind that women we're, we're naturally planners. We think long-term, we think about long-term survival and protection of ourselves and our family. It's in our nature. And men sometimes just think like in the present. So she's definitely not alone in this situation where, um, you know, she's thinking about money and he's just thinking about, you know, what he might do this weekend. And, um, depending on where they are in their relationship, money can be a sensitive topic, but my recommendation for her would be to frame it in the frame the conversation around that money is a tool. It's a vehicle that's going to help them get where they want to go in life. And once I finally explained this um, to my boyfriend turned fiance, and now my husband, he is much more willing to get on board with my way of thinking in terms of setting up automatic savings for ourselves, um, making our retirement a priority. We automatically budget for how much we spend just for our household, like grocery expenses and our living expenses so that we are you know, making an equal contribution to those things first. And once I reframed my message into a language that he could understand, he, he really got on board uh, very quickly. I love it. So what it sounds like is some of the takeaways here is remind that money is a tool and that, you know, regardless of your differences, spender, saver, diligent about money, more lack more sort of passive with money, is that you both are here to accomplish goals together. And so make it about the the planning, the goaling. It sounds like you also automated a healthy amount. So that's a great way to avoid unnecessary fights, frankly, when things are just automatically taken care of and it's not one person's responsibility to do it. And maybe that person forgets or feels... Yeah. Someone might feel slighted. Slighted, um, right. Like yeah. I, I'm shouldering all of this responsibility, but if it's automatically being taken care of, great. And I would just layer onto that, Kim, by saying, you know, sometimes it helps to get a financial planner engaged, you know, and, and this could be someone who comes recommended from friends or family, someone you could just go on like XY planning network and find somebody that virtually to have you know, a one to two hour conversation with the two of you, perhaps even just virtually to understand what are some of the steps that you both need to take to get set up 
right? Get to get systems put in place, whether that's saving money for your wedding, putting, starting a joint account because now you want to both be contributing to rent, um, starting a joint account because now you're going to be splitting a lot of costs like groceries and things like that. And look, if he's still getting money from his parents, I think that's worth talking about and just understanding the reason behind it. If this is money that can be useful, perhaps it goes into a special account. And now that they're getting serious and talking about marriage down the road, that, you know, uh, that money is now, you know, sort of their money to some degree. And could they put some sort of objective around it, right? So this money that we're going to get from my parents, we're not going to use it to try to inflate our lifestyle. Um, We want to be able to afford that to the best that we can live within our means. But this extra stuff, maybe it's it goes into a vacation fund for down the road, a honeymoon fund. Maybe it goes into helping to pay down debt. Um, Have it be really useful and meaningful as opposed to just like getting poured into some bank account you spend it not really knowing how or why. And then as a result, you sort of overspend what you're really able to. And if that money goes away, you just want to be prepared for still being able to maintain your lifestyle. Right. And um, once we got on board and, and I mean, like you said earlier, where I think tensions can build and someone can feel slighted, that was certainly happening. Um, I don't want to you know, mislead anyone and think that this was an easy thing. This took a lot of effort on both of our parts, especially me, even just chasing him down and getting him to sit in front of my computer and letting him see what I was looking at all of the time and what I wanted and what, what we were going to have to do in order for the both of us to get there. And, um, as a couple, uh, this has been recommended to me, really start thinking about and understanding what are your values What are your values as a person? What do you value as a couple? And in terms of your financial values, what are important? What's important to you? Um, From my perspective, similarly, I've always valued being independent. I wanted to be independent of my parents. So I did whatever I could to scrape the money together to buy a house to be able to live on my own. Um, My then boyfriend, now husband, has come from a little bit of a different background. He didn't have that drive to be completely independent that way. Now our goal together, our value together is to be financially free and to set ourselves up and work toward ultimate financial freedom so that we have opportunities or we have at least the chance to take opportunities should they come up. Um, So discussing that with her partner, finding out what your values are and how your goals are going to help you align with that long-term. Because your values can shape your goals. If they set a goal, they can kind of pivot their actions, whether it's saving or allocating, making things automatic. Their actions are going to become their habits, and then their habits can really influence their destiny and their life together. Well said. Um, So a year into marriage, it's the honeymoon phase. (laughs) It is. It was a a very interesting year. And uh, we came out stronger together and mm-hmm. um, we're on our way to, to making more moves. So love it. All right. Well, stick with us. Stick with this podcast. Absolutely. Um, we have a question here from a listener who is wondering about insurance. She is thinking of quitting her job and starting a home-based business, um, but concerned about how to keep her and her family insured. What is our advice? I have to say this is one of the bigger hurdles to becoming you know, self-employed and starting your own business. And I think for me personally, why I almost 
didn't do this, uh, this career that I've built, um, kind of happened out of necessity because I got laid off. And, uh, for a while prior to getting laid off, you know, I, I thought about just quitting and going off on my own and doing the whole self-employment gig, but I was really nervous to, to this person's point. Like I was nervous about affording healthcare for sourcing it, then affording it. And then, um, on top of that, there's all these other expenses that you have to account for. You have to set up your own retirement account. You have to also deal with the inconsistent paycheck. So I'm just curious if you ever had any experience with this, Kim, and then I'll give my two cents. But first, did you ever have to get insurance on your own? Personally, no. I've always been fortunate. Uh, I Even when I started working after graduate school, I stayed on my parents' insurance. Um, and then now that my husband and I are married, the two of us we are on his plan. Um, and even when I worked independently, um, I always had insurance through an employer. Uh, but someone, as somebody, you know, I'm a clinician, I've worked in healthcare industry for over six years. Um, this is definitely a, a real thing for people to, to tackle and to think about. And really my recommendation would be to do her, her due diligence and research and find out what those different insurance plans are going to cost mm-hmm. to insure the family. Right. And it sounds like she's married. So maybe the first step is just to look into her husband's employer benefits if he has them, right? And see if she can um, tack on herself and the kids uh, to that plan. And it may be more expensive than what she was originally used to, but sometimes convenience is is great if it's just a matter of filling out some paperwork and boom, you're on that health plan. Health plan, um, and then also go to healthcare.gov where you can um, learn about coverage in the health insurance marketplace. Um, so you can see if you can qualify for plans and prices. And the other thing that I would mention is that. Um, this question is actually quite timely because I've recently partnered with VSP Individual Vision Plans. So um, for those of you who aren't familiar, VSP Individual Vision Plans, they provide affordable vision coverage that you can buy on your own for as little as $13 a month. The website for that is getvspvision.com. So good luck to you. But yeah, start maybe asking your partner about his health plan. Go to the, the open market to see what kinds of options you might be able to earn there. And then also, you know, just shop around. There are a lot of websites where you can shop around for health insurance. If you're healthy, if you're a non-smoker, you know, you live an active lifestyle, that all puts you in a great position to qualify for low premiums. Moving on, Kim, is this everything you dreamed of and more? This is fantastic. I'm so pumped. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So Wendy here has a question. Longtime listener, love your podcast, continually inspired. Well, thank you, Wendy. That's really nice to hear. She is seeking to start an investment portfolio with a long-term mindset, which did she hear us talking? I don't know. Right. We just talked about that. So she wants to focus on retirement. She's an investment novice, but she has at least 30 years to go before retirement age. She has both a traditional and a Roth IRA set up, so she's looking for something supplementary. She recently heard about Elevest, and while uh, she says, I've listened to you for years, I've admittedly missed shows here and there. I wonder if you've talked about this organization in one of your previous interviews. 100% yes, Wendy. Um, Actually, I've interviewed Sally Krawcheck twice now on the show, who is the founder of Elevest. 
And I would encourage you to go check out that episode. I would just go to somoneypodcast.com and type in Sally Krawcheck, and she spells her name S-A-L-L-I-E, Krawcheck, and you'll find a couple of episodes with her. And she really does go into the the why of Elevest, how it's different, why she designed it the way that she did for women. And I think echoing what we've already heard um, from Kim is that it is true. Women are very goal-oriented, long-term goal-oriented and short-term goal-oriented. And so the way that Elevest is designed, you know, it's still all the same kinds of investments that you can access pretty much anywhere, but it is designed in such a way that gets you engaged, women, I'm talking now, women getting them engaged and getting them investing, it's goal focused. So you, whether you have a five-year goal or a 30-year goal, they want to know that, the program, and then they put you into certain portfolios based on your goals. And really what that is, is programs designed around your um, your timeline. So obviously, if you have a five-year goal to say, start a business, go back to school, have a wedding, start a family versus 30 years, which is retirement, much different allocation, much different risk adjustment. But I think it excites us to feel like we're saving, we're investing towards something very specific and tangible. Um, it keeps us going. So Elevest, that's um, my understanding of it. Also, a much lower fee um, to manage your portfolio, to run the portfolio, portfolios versus maybe working with a financial planner. Everything is automated, accessible online. So, but listen to those episodes with Sally Krawcheck. She really does a deep dive. Kim, where do you keep your investments or how do you invest? Sure. So right now my investments are just focused on um, my employer, my employer's retirement accounts and previous employer's retirement accounts. They're kind of just sitting there. Um, lately, I've been trying to do some more research and working with financial planners in the area to see if we really need to generate a long-term relationship with somebody to help guide us in this effort. Um, I checked out Elevest last night and I listened to those shows with uh, Sally Krawcheck and even saw a couple of other interviews that she's done that are posted on YouTube. I definitely encourage everybody to check them out. She is super inspiring um, and I did not know much about her. And just from exploring the platform, I wish I knew about it You know, 15 years ago when I had a thousand dollars saved from my little gift shop job at the zoo. And I put it in a savings account and I didn't know, I didn't know about money and growing money and compound interest. And, um, so I think this is fantastic for women to try to dive in and take advantage of even just small amounts per month can really add up. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, one of the biggest questions I get from listeners is about investing and I love it. I love it. I love that the questions aren't stereotypically like, how do I, you know, save money on X or how do I budget or how do I, you know, uh, more of the sort of like day to day stuff, which women are often, um, characterized as caring more about. You know, we hold the purse strings. And so naturally, of course, we're just looking for bargains and how to spend smart. And I'm, you know, I'm done with that rhetoric. I think it's, no, I think I'm, I'm only experiencing <laughs> one way of it, you know, which is all these women telling me on the show and through meeting them in real life that they care about retirement. They're concerned about investing. I think the biggest, uh, always the biggest barrier that I hear repeatedly is that I don't know where to begin. I don't know who to trust. And that's really what's, what I'm hearing from this question, right? It's like, is Elevest good? 
or, you know, how does it work? And I think that's what's also amazing about women is we want to do our thorough research. The one thing I will say about that, our insistence on having all the answers is, look, you're not going to always have all the answers. And sometimes it's important to take a bit of a leap of faith. Obviously, do your homework, do your research, get educated. But investing is, you know, inherently something that is a little bit of an unknown, you know, to some degree. You may not make money one year. You might lose money. Um, you may start investing somewhere and learn, you know, that over someplace else, it's a little cheaper to invest there. And so you feel bad that you made that move. But the important thing is that you got in the game, right? You got in, you got started. You're never going to make a perfect decision. You'll always find maybe a better place to park your money. There's always new technologies coming out that's tweaking it, perfecting it, making things more efficient. And so as long as you're just keeping informed and you're you're asking the right questions and you're, you're engaged, I think that's 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 going to go a very long way for you. So all this is say, good luck, Wendy. I think you'll be fine. Check out those episodes. And if you've got more questions, hit us up again. All right. Let's, we have one more question. I think we can do one more question. We have time. Samantha wants to know, and she's 24 years old, um, by the way, youngest of five kids. She lives with her parents. She attends college full-time and works full-time. Wow. She hates her job. <laughs> what 24-year-old loves their job? I feel like, <laughs> right. you know, like your first job is typically hard and annoying. Um, so anyway, she says, I have to stay in the job because both my parents depend on me and my brothers for income. I hardly have any spare money. However, how can I maximize my income? I would like to build my credit. I'd like to help with bills and save for a future business. Any tips? baby steps here. You've got a lot going on, a lot on your plate and a lot you want to accomplish. And I want to keep you um, motivated and encouraged and empowered. You know, you're going to school and you're working full time. I think that's a lot on your plate. I think you want to focus on finishing school, getting that degree, leaving college as debt-free as possible, because that is what's going to set you up for even more success as you go to hit these other goals, starting a business and um, building credit and all of that. So first step is just really finish school, finish on time, try to stay out of debt. Um, all the while, of course, you know, paying your, uh, helping your parents out, which is extremely um, generous of you and very, uh, your very good daughter and your brothers as well. I think that it's important to have a conversation with your parents, you know, about kind of like what's the What's the big picture here? You know, what are their plans? Where do they want to be in five years or a year from now? And, you know, what's the future here? I'm happy to support you and I want to support you, but, you know, I'm also trying to build my financial life and I, I want to switch jobs. And that may mean not working for a while, uh, not making any money, but I want to end up in a job that I really love and that will hopefully pay me more. So for that transition, we need to come up with a plan, you know, whether that's saving more now to support our expenses while I'm not bringing in income or, you know, cutting costs or downsizing, you know, have a conversation with your parents. Any advice for our friend, Samantha? Absolutely. Um, I want to recognize Samantha for doing such a great job and keeping things on track while she's a young woman um, going to school, working full time, really hustling, it sounds like, and being a support system towards her family. Um, to answer her questions, thinking about maximizing her income, what I took away from the question is that she's 
not, she's working full time, but maybe it's not her career job while she's going to school. Um, so what are there other jobs that are available where she can maybe earn more money? Um, is she working at a minimum wage hourly job right now? Or is she waitressing on the weekends where you can pull in a couple of hundred dollars, um, in an evening compared to, um, a much longer amount of time, say working in retail, And also maybe, Samantha, beware of burning yourself out. You are really young and there's going to be plenty of time to earn money and finish school and you do have to pay the bills. But also remember, don't stretch yourself beyond a threshold where you reach a breaking point. Definitely pace yourself. Your career will be there. The education will always be there. But you have to take care of yourself too before you can help others. Um, For building credit, maybe get a little creative. I wonder if any of the household bills are in her name. Um, If it sounds like maybe there's a lot of people living under one roof, um, maybe if there's utilities or a cell phone bill, if it's in her parents' name, can they transition it to her name and making sure that those payments are made on time. That can really help build her credit by showing that she can make on-time payments without necessarily using a credit card and having to depend on a credit card. And then in terms of saving for future business, maybe just make it automatic. Set up a separate savings account somewhere online that's not linked to her checking account. And whether it's $20, $50, $100 a month, just have it automatically deposited there into that separate account and watch it grow. And um, if she really gets aggressive or wants to be aggressive, if she has a long-term goal, maybe think about a different platform um, like Elevest that we just talked about, where you can set a goal and her level of how aggressive she wants to be and see her money grow faster and money work for her instead of just sitting in a checking account. All really great advice. Is there anything that you wish you told yourself, Kim, your younger self? (laughs) (laughs) Do you see yourself in... In Samantha a little bit. She's I love I love the uh the motivation here. I love that she's yeah. got her eyes set on prizes. Yeah, certainly. Um I wish I knew, you know, similarly I was in high school, I had a couple of jobs, I was trying to get creative about how to earn money. Um and I wish uh, there was a certain point in my life where a family member was really ill and I was trying to support myself and be independent. Um but instead I wish I had just spent that time with that family member because that you know, extra few hours I put in at a restaurant here or there when I was 17 really didn't matter to me. And it wasn't going to change my financial future, but spending that extra time, um, with a sick family member that I I wish I had done that instead. So that's Mm -hmm. where I want to keep things in perspective and see, um, where are you spending your time and what's important right now and how's it going to contribute to your future? I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's just going back to basics sometimes and and thinking about what is it that you want in your life? What are your goals? What are your values? What's important to you? It's part of what I'll be talking about on stage this Sunday in LA for the Vault Conference. And I love... I love talking about money in this way because I think money can be often this like topic that scares us and maybe we don't feel we're good at math. And so therefore we feel incompetent around financial issues. We're all human. We all desire things. We all come on this earth with, um, you know, hardwired a certain way and we get conditioned and then we get older and then, you know, that impacts our perspective on things. And I think how we then spend and save and invest and donate reflects that. So it's important to kind of go down, unpack all of that, you know, and also dream big. And, and, and 
reach for the stars because I think that you need that carrot in order to feel motivated to do the sometimes mundane things with your money. You know, it's not sexy to like put your money in a bank account. It doesn't feel like you're really moving the needle. Right. But if, right. you, if you can see that this is helping you achieve and get closer to a goal, that's exciting. Figuring out what are your goals, what are your values, and money is just a tool. And, and figure out what your mindset is and have a healthy mindset around money um, because we're all here and life is long and life is fun. And there's a lot of different things you can do if you just do the work and plan and set yourself up nicely. Thank you so much, Kim. So nice to connect with you. I'm, I'm, I feel very lucky to have um, people like you in the audience and knowing that you're thriving and you got your head on straight. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. And also just knowing that, you know, you've been with this podcast for a long time and um, you really appreciate the, the work. It makes me feel like I'm, um, I'm in the right place. I'm doing the work that I'm supposed to do. So uh, again, really thank you. And to everyone listening, you know, I'd love to bring you on stage. I'd love to share the mic with you. So get in touch like Kim did. I think you just emailed me or found me on Instagram, shared your interest in, in co-hosting and we took it from there. So I encourage you to, to reach out. Kim, I hope you have a great rest of your weekend and everybody listening. I hope your weekend is so money. 